All right, welcome back to From Eight Arbitration, and today, man, I've got a very special guest. Uh, I wish y'all could see my getup right here. Uh, I've tried to run this through Discord, and it did not work. It sounds like it was in a, a tin can, and so I've got uh, I got my man. He's in Chicago, but I've got him rubber banded <laughs> to my microphone. So I hope this comes out all right. We did a we did a couple of uh, a quick tests, and it sounded okay. Uh, but I'm hoping that you can uh, you can hear my man. I'll get to him in just a second. Uh, next week uh, we're going to have Mr. Uh, Brian Renfro, Executive Vice President of the NLC. He's going to be on. And he's going to answer questions, and he's going to answer some hard questions. And uh, we talked, and I told him I'm not going to cherry pick any questions for him. We're going to ask some tough questions. And so, uh, Lindsay on Facebook, on the uh, From Aid Arbitration Facebook page, she put it on there to ask questions. Also, on Twitter, she's uh, started a Twitter page, so get on there. And Instagram, she started there. So get on those, find from Aid Arbitration, and you can ask questions on that if you don't have a Facebook page. I know a lot of you don't. I know JB doesn't have a Facebook page. Um, Discord, uh, there's a link on the FromAidArbitration.com. So get on Discord. That's a crazy little group over there, man. I don't get on there much, <laughs> but they're crazy. They're at it all hours of the night, too. So get on Discord and get in on that conversation. Uh, they're doing a great job over there. Also, don't forget from aidarbitration.com. Uh, you can get on there and you can message us off of that. Jeremy's done a fantastic job with that. But Mr. Brian Renfro will be on uh, next week. Uh, he's running for our next president. And so we're going to ask him some tough questions. Uh, and I've already got a bunch that y'all already want me to ask. And I'm not going to I'm not going to hold back. I mean, we're going to ask some tough questions of him. And he said he's going to answer the questions. So we'll see. Uh, after that, the next week, probably going to have JB come in here. A lot of people talking about management doing craft work, janitors doing craft work. Uh, so he's going to cover that exclusively. And uh, he's, he's going to be very detailed in that. He's uh, dealt with that quite a bit. And so uh, I believe he's going to do that. And then I'll be on. Or that a month from now. <laughs> so I'll be back and I'm going to do something that's pretty uh, different. We'll say that. It's going to be different. And uh, I just had an arbitration on it this week. Went very well. Had a very good uh, witness. Mr. A.J. Bro from Lake Charles demolished management in this hearing. And I'll tell you all about it when I do this, uh, when I do that episode. But A.J. Bro, who's always been a great witness for me, uh, the guy knows his stuff more than anybody else. And so he was, uh, he absolutely smashed management in this arbitration. I'll tell you all about it. As you go through the union and you talk to people, you'll always have those that will tell you that they're for the letter carrier. And then you have those that will show you they're for the letter carrier. Uh, Mike Cariff will show you he's about the letter carrier. And, and I told him whenever he wants to come on, he can come on have full reign. I mean, this guy's about the business of city letter carriers. Uh, when I went up to Chicago, his region, uh, saw the branch there that hosted all this stuff, uh, constantly training. Uh, this guy's constantly training his people, making sure that they're educated. Arbitrations, 
constantly training his advocates, getting them ready for arbitration. Uh, he's included me on this uh, email string, this group, constantly training each other, teaching each other, helping each other. That's being about the business of city letter carriers, and that's what I'm about. Uh, so you'll always have those that will tell you they're about it. I don't give a damn about them. I want the ones that are going to show me they're about it. And Mr. Mike Cariff is one of those that shows you he's about the city letter carrier. And so anytime he wants to be on, I'm going to push everything else aside and let him come on because he's about that business. And so, Mike, I hope this is going to work. <laughs> I've got you rubber banded up to my microphone. <laughs> so are you there? I'm here, my brother. I'm here. Can you hear me? I can I can hear you fine. <laughs> I hope everybody else can hear you, but I can see you up on my screen. It sounds like you're coming through. So uh, hopefully you won't talk for an hour and then this all goes to hell. But um, my brother, I appreciate you. I love you. I mean, you are about the business of City Letter Cares and anybody that's about that business, man. Uh, I, I'm for them and I'm, I'm pulling for them and I, and I love them. So... Uh, I want to tell you here in front of everybody, I know that I said it on the episode, the one where I got kicked out of National, uh, telling y'all I appreciate y'all, tell you here on this, man, I appreciate you and your people, how y'all how y'all treated me in Chicago, y'all are first class people, man, and I appreciate it, um, but I'm not going to keep talking, I'm going to let you handle your business, whatever you want to talk about, I know you got a couple of things you're going to discuss with our people, and so, uh, man, you have at it. And I will talk to you on the other side of it. I'm going to go in my room and listen. All right. So uh, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> this thing is picking up. Because like I said, I got you taped uh, or uh, rubber banded to my microphone. So we'll see if it comes through. All right, my man. Sounds good, brother. All right, baby. It's all yours. All right, man. All right, good people. Uh, first of all, I want to say it's, it is an honor and a pleasure to be on this podcast from Aid Arbitration once again. Uh, now that I have now on a second time, I am officially would officially be known as a contributor to the podcast, and uh, that warms my heart. I think the podcast has been a great addition for all of our uh, union people, stewards, activists, and whatever role people play within the union. They're getting a lot of information. They're getting a lot of the passion and, and everything that's, that's coming from Corey and the other people that help out with the podcast. So to the extent that I can help out in any way, that is, uh, that's something that I want to do. So today um, I'm going to get into a couple of things that are uh, kind of relevant and important, I think, out there. One of them is um, remedies and noncompliance grievances, and the other one is about uh, when we get disciplined for failure to follow instructions, and I'm really uh, solely focused on failure to follow instructions when you are uh, not at work, when you're assigned to work or told to work and you leave for the day or you don't report on your NS day, and the discipline that comes from that being failure to follow instructions. So I'll explain what I'm thinking and, and some of the, you know, the way the issue is presenting itself out there. Uh, Corey, I want to thank him for uh, coming by. He, he mentioned that we had a little event at the end of the convention, and he came by the Branch Hall, Branch 11 in Chicago, uh, did get him to take a shot. He told us that he would take one. I think he mentioned on the podcast previously that he doesn't drink, but you can get him to take one shot, and he was a man of his word. So he took a shot, and 
Um, we toasted to the podcast and to the successes and to the letter carriers and our all our successes going forward, and uh, we had a great time. So anyway, let me get right to it. I'm going to try not to prolong this thing like some <clears throat> some other people do, not mentioning any names. <laughs> but um, all right, so you guys, uh, there was a podcast that, there was an episode, I want to say, that Corey did on noncompliance. Uh, as well as on remedies, and you go back and you can listen to it. Corey was instrumental in pushing this issue forward for the NELC. Uh, he did an arbitration hearing somewhere in Tennessee. I forget where, but uh, anyway, we won the arbitration with Arbitrator Roberts, and it called for an escalated remedy, an additional remedy beyond the uh, normal make-whole remedy. And the Postal Service decided to try to vacate that remedy and take us to federal court. Uh, take the union uh, federal court and the authority of the arbitrator to render such a remedy, and uh, they got dusted in federal court. And so that federal court decision is now in everyone's grievance going forward, and we're using that language that the federal judge used as well as uh, everything else. So about a couple weeks ago, we got back an award from arbitrator John Obi in the Chicago post office, the Chicago installation, which consists of about 50 different work locations, 50 stations within the Chicago post office. And that award was in regards to uh, noncompliance with grievance settlements, uh, et cetera. And I'll, I'll get into the details of what the award was, but it was a groundbreaking award. Uh, and it's something that I want you all to be aware of. And then I'm going to tell you kind of how the history and, you know, how this thing came about a little bit. But really, if you read it, um, Arbitrator Obi goes over because, of course, the union presented all of the history. You don't get an award like this uh, when something happens one time. But the history of the issue, and I've been fighting this uh, on this issue and trying to get this remedy probably for six years. And there's there's maybe uh, 20 or 30 other people that have contributed and helped us to get to the, uh, to the point where we got with this remedy. But it is C number 35858. It is not dated. We had to uh, send it back to the arbitrator for him to put a date on it, but it's either September the 10th or the 12th. I think it's going to end up being the 10th, but we'll let the arbitrator date the award and send it back. But it's already posted uh, through the arbitration uh, link there in the members-only portal. And it is 35858. I want to start off by talking about remedies. There's two very important uh, aspects of a remedy. And I don't think that we probably train enough or focus enough on or think about or talk about appropriate remedies enough. It's on the 8190, what is the union's requested remedy, but it's not always a simple formula. Uh, but you're looking to do two things. You're looking to make Make whole, and you're looking to fix the problem going forward, and that's not always easy, but make whole to the extent you can. You want to restore that grievance or those grievance to the status quo ante and, and any losses that they suffered as a result of management's adverse action. You know, make them whole, whether it was they weren't paid properly, uh, disciplined, whatever, and then uh, fix the problem going forward. And we always say at the end of an issue statement, if so, what it, you know, if, it's, if management violated the contract, then what is the appropriate remedy and how and how does it get fixed going forward is obviously part of the problem. I've been in the post office 28 years. Uh, I know a lot of you have been in uh, probably longer. And one of the biggest issues we have is uh, letter carriers and, and all of us looking at a, a settlement 
or looking at something that's happening with the violation of the contract and management keeps on doing it and we keep on filing grievances and the issue just keeps going on and on. There's nothing to me more frustrating as a union official than to see that. And, uh, you know, the members see that and, and they don't like it for good reason. You shouldn't like it. Uh, we should have a contract. The words on, on a contract on those pieces of paper should mean something. Um, and, and so we have to fight through the grievance process to make them mean something. And in this case, we're able to do that. I want to show you a little bit how it happened. So if you look at the language in, uh, in the JCAM, pages 41-6, page 41-16 is where the dialogue opens up in the JCAM. And it says, in circumstances where the violation is egregious or deliberate or after local management has received previous instructional resolutions on the same issue, and it appears that a cease and desist remedy is not sufficient to ensure future contract compliance, the parties may wish to consider a further appropriate compensatory remedy to the injured party to emphasize the commitment of the parties to contract compliance. In those circumstances, care should be exercised to ensure that the remedy is corrective and not punitive, providing a full explanation of the basis of the remedy. There's only one little word that I want to change out of this, and it says where it says where local management has received previous instructional resolutions, and it, and it has an S on there. I'm going to tell you right now, you only get one. You only get one instructional resolution because it already says in the contract what you're supposed to do. Now, we give you a warning to stop doing it. Uh, that's, that's fair. But to give someone two warnings only invalidates the first warning. And I don't think we should ever do that in the grievance process. So if you're resolving a grievance, by all means, uh, cease and desist is appropriate uh, when it when it just first happens. If management does not get the message, uh, we're looking for uh, something more than another cease and desist on the matter. So uh, we had a long uh, history of management ignoring the contract. The main issue that we were having, I don't know if it was the main one, but we were focused on when we took this particular case in front of the arbitrator, the focus was on not complying with grievance settlements. So you'd sign something with management. They would pro they said, we'll process um, an adjustment for this carrier. We'll, we owe them $100. We'll, we'll do this. We'll do that. And then they wouldn't do it. And we'd have to file a, a subsequent grievance to try to, to get the ball rolling. So um, if, I, if I remember correctly, one of the first times that we made – uh, progress on, on this general issue was we were having the issue of continuation of pay. Carrie would be uh, injured, fill out a CA-1. They're entitled to continuation of pay. They check the box. They tell the uh, supervisor that, you know, they want to get paid. There should be no interruption in their pay. And they would just uh, not pay them. And they would not pay them to punish them. You know, uh, hey, how dare you uh, file a claim? You know, how dare you claim that you were injured on the job? And they would just not pay them. And it was, it was completely just uh, belligerent. And they would say, well, if the claim is approved by OWCP, then you can be made whole for the continuation of pay that you lost. Well, it don't work like that. The continuation of pay is based on no interruption in your pay. Not, we'll see if the claim is approved, and then we'll come back later and pay you what, what you owe you. But if you think about the resolution and the remedies and grievances, 
if you're just seeking a make whole remedy, all you would look for is, okay, let's come back later and pay the person what they were owed in, in the COP. Similar circumstance, you have places out there that whenever the carrier puts in for sick leave, they don't pay them. They just don't put in the sick leave. And that's a, that's a punishment to you, right? Your check is going to come up short, and we'll fix it later. If you got that type of grievance, you can't just resolve the grievance and say management will input the eight hours of sick leave or whatever it is. That doesn't solve the problem because the problem is that they're not doing their job properly and they're forcing the carrier to have a loss in pay when, when they get their paycheck. So this issue of COP, um, we took it to arbitration, and it was a particular case where the carrier ended up not being entitled to the COP. And I remember we, we had a back and forth on it. I remember talking with uh, uh, Ron Watson when he was the director of retirees for the NELC um, and talking to some different people. But it was, a, it was a tough one. But my position was that, and we already had a cease and desist order on this, that the Postal Service, no matter if the claim is eventually approved or not, the carrier shouldn't suffer any loss in pay. If there's going to be any uh, you know, paying back, then the carrier should pay back to the Postal Service if their claim is not approved, which is what's, what's supposed to happen under the law. So we took this case forward and we won it. And uh, we also got them to order uh, management to do some training, which we actually put on the training uh, on, on the proper procedures for when someone's injured and the payment of continuation of pay. Uh, and that set the, the ground there. And ever since then, every time in the Chicago Post Office, they have not paid continuation of pay to a letter carrier that fills out a CA-1 and requests COP, every single time the carrier would get an additional remedy in addition to getting their continuation of pay uh, paid. And it was up to about $2,000, I think, every single time. And maybe maybe that was not high enough, but it certainly, I wouldn't say it didn't deter them, but it didn't, it didn't stop it. Um, so anyway, the main issues we were having, that was just kind of one, something to set the bar. I want to thank Brother Dave Teagarden. He's now the Region 5 uh, business agent, but he was uh, he was our RWCA back then, Regional Workman's Compensation Assistant, and he did arbitrations, and he's damn good at arbitrations, and uh, he helped us out a lot on on formulating that and winning that issue at arbitration and setting that bar. Uh, we were still having tons of issues with compliance with the contract and grievance settlements, uh, particularly not meeting our grievances at informal and formal A post office. Uh, not providing information to the union stewards at, at informal and formal A, and then what we call just non-compliance, which is when you have a grievance settlement and instead of complying with the terms of the settlement, they, they don't do it. So um, some of the history on that, we're, we had so many of those grievances that we started getting creative with the Postal Service and some of the uh, formal A reps in Chicago really did a good job of establishing language that, uh, that would help us in the future. And here I will throw out a little tidbit from our vice president, James Henry. I think this comes, I think he said this comes from his uncle. But anyway, when he was a young man, he was told, I think by, by his uncle, that if you chase the girls, you'll never have any money. But if you chase the money, you'll always have the girls. And it's similar in the grievance process. you got to chase the language. And we got them to bite on a few settlements, not get them to bite, they voluntarily, they wanted to, to enter into these settlements because we would allow them to not pay any additional remedy in that particular grievance, but they would have to agree to particular language going forward. 
and that language would be precedent setting. So the first one, what we used to call the Estrada Settlement, and that was uh, signed by Eric Estrada for the NELC, and it involved one particular station in Chicago. And what it said was when management fails to meet or provide information to the union, every carrier in that uh, facility, in that delivery unit, would receive $150. And we got that settlement at Formal A. The post office challenged it in a subsequent grievance. They did not want to pay the $150 per carrier. There's about 60 carriers in that office. So you're talking about maybe $9,000, but uh, depends on how many carriers were at work that day, uh, that kind of thing. But anyway, we went in front of arbitrator Jordan. He affirmed the settlement. Uh, I think we also had a pre-arb settlement that said the same thing that uh, Brother Tony Hudson had signed out of this office. And anyway, we, we won that issue, uh, but it only applied to that one particular station uh, going forward. We then got a settlement out of another station in Chicago, and this was done by Stephen Stewart. And Stephen Stewart, I hope he's listening to the podcast. He, he works for our headquarters now, uh, special assistant to the president and the city delivery department. Uh, department at NELC headquarters, but he was the formal A rep, uh, the lead formal A rep for the Chicago installation assigned by President Mac Julian and Branch 11, and he was able to get a settlement regarding not providing information to the union steward, and the settlement, once again, didn't require them to do anything for the instant grievance that they had, but going forward, if they don't provide information within 48 hours uh, of, of the request, they were going to have to pay $250 to the grievance and then $25 per day thereafter. Um, and I can't tell you how many times we would go like to arbitration. We're talking about like a year uh, or many months after the initial request had been uh, put in and postal management still had not provided the information so bad that the advocate for the postal service would go to the hearing and to, you know, make an argument, a stupid argument in front of the arbitrator, and the arbitrator would say, are you, are you telling me that you still haven't provided this information, like, on this day, on today? And, and that's, that's the way it was. But, um, you know, we, we were getting so much money uh, out of that for, for those letter carriers when, and then the settlement would be, okay, you got to pay all this money per the $250 a day, I mean, $250 initial fee or whatever, and then $25 a day, and then, of course, you have to provide the information and make that information available to the union, and then they have uh, 14 days to file a grievance. Then Brother uh, Tyrone Valdez improved upon that one in another settlement in the Chicago installation at a separate station, and that one he got $500 for each incident past 48 hours and then $50 uh, per day thereafter. Um, so we're building up in all of this, and you read this OB award, and I really encourage you to read it, from front to back because he explains all the logic and the history and the arbitral authority and everything on, on these uh, issues. And, and really, hey, it's going to have to stop one way or another. And the only person or the only entity that can make these contract violations stop is the Postal Service. We can't force them to do anything. They have to uphold their end of, of the bargain. So uh, we would bring the issues up during labor manager meetings. We would cite it. We would uh, take the minutes put the minutes inside the grievance files. I wrote uh, letters to the Postal Service, letting them know that we had this issue out here, that it was costing them a lot of money and that they had the power to resolve this issue. Um, had meetings with them as well, which we documented, put in the in grievance files. I wrote up uh, was was like a white paper, 
like a position paper for the NELC. And in the position paper, I argued that there should be an automatic remedy to the union for the damage that is being done to each and every member of our union and to the union itself because it undermines our authority when we can't enforce the terms of the contract and we can't enforce settlement agreements that we signed. We put our name to that thing, and the member of the union, when they get a copy of that grievance settlement, they expect that to happen. And that is a very logical uh, assumption that they would think that that's what's going to happen. And when it doesn't, it does irreparable damage to our brand as the NELC, to us as a union, and to the members of the union. And I asked uh, in that uh, white paper that we have an going forward an automatic remedy to the union, which would deter the Postal Service from violating the contract and violating uh, grievance settlement. So I wrote that out, uh, went over some of the history. Uh, Brother Scott Jackaway, who works out of uh, the regional office from time to time, out of Branch 825, he went in there and took it and made it better, uh, made it more concise, added some other things, added some different arbitration awards. All of the arbitration awards that I'm talking about that you're going to need are in the Obi Award because obviously we presented all this. We presented my white paper, Brother Jackaway's white paper. We presented all of the arbitration awards and all of the history. We presented the Formal A settlements. We presented the multitude of Step B settlements, uh, cease and desist orders, escalating remedies, et cetera, et cetera, that they were all part of uh, the history of this issue in the Chicago Post Office. So Obi, you know, the arbitrator, he talks about all of that. And it's all in, in his award. Uh, so you read it, you'll see, you'll see what it is. And uh, we got back the award, and it was, uh, it was glorious. <laughs> it was glorious. I think I, I want to say I cried, but damn near cried. <laughs> it was a lot of, lot of uh, hard work by a lot of people getting to this point. But what the award says, I know it's a lot of buildup to it, but what it says is the Postal Service is to pay the union the sum of $2,500 for its non-compliance with the settlement agreement in the present case. That's one, comma, and in order to obtain the compliance of the Chicago installation with settlement agreements, cease and desist orders, and step B decisions, this arbitrator finds that an automatic award of $2,500 is mandated for all future failures to comply with such settlement agreements, cease and desist orders, and step B decisions. Our advocate was Hope Miles. Uh, she did a great job. She submitted a brief to the arbitrator and uh, got the arbitrator to uh, understand why it was necessary for, for him to put this type of uh, order out there because it fixes the problem. So now all of the harm that's done to the grievance, all of the harm that is done to the union, um, they're either going to stop doing it because $2,500 per grievance is too high of a penalty for them to pay, or they're going to keep doing it, and we're just going to get very rich. Uh, and mind you, we filed uh, probably at least 3,000 grievances uh, that went to Formal A. That doesn't include the ones that were filed at Inform that were filed and settled at Informal A in the Chicago Post Office last year. Um, and most of them are repetitive issues where we've already dealt with this issue, where we have some type of language on file, cease and desist. Uh, etc. And some type of instructional remedy is already on file. And if they continue to violate that thing, for example, I mentioned the COP thing, uh, taking CCAs off their hold down, 
Um, there's any, there's, there's a ton of these issues out there that they do repetitively and uh, certainly not meeting our grievances, not providing information, not complying with, with grievance settlements. It's going to cost them $2,500 every single time uh, payable to the union. So it's a great award, and I encourage you guys to check it out, read it in its entirety. Um, I'm sure they'll post it up on the Facebook page uh, or the website, and you can uh, look it up with C number 35858. All right, that's what I had on noncompliance. Uh, what I want to talk about here is an issue that I see a lot, which is carriers getting disciplined, particularly now in the mandatory overtime era that we're in right now. It's been going on for the past two years or whatever, depending on your particular post office. Uh, but failure to follow instructions for not continuing to work uh, in a work day or failure to follow instructions for not reporting on an NS day. Um, and obviously we have people that have to leave work or cannot report to work on an NS day. And if you can't, you should definitely be filling out a 3971, advising management and writing that you are not able to uh, go to work. Uh, and you shouldn't be subject to discipline for failure to follow instructions. Now, you can always be disciplined for your attendance. If the Postal Service feels that your attendance is irregular, et cetera, um, you know, there you could be subject to discipline for that. And that's fine. I'm not uh, even talking about that here. But the charge, failure to follow instructions or insubordination, is completely improper in that type of situation. And I think that we're under a little bit of a misconception. I see some people when they make comments and they, they talk about the iron rule. Um, and iron rule is referred to in page 41-27 of the JCAM. So I'll read you what the language says in the JCAM and, and we'll kind of go from there, okay? All right, although there have been no significant step four settlements or arbitration awards interpreting Article 41.3I, and it just happens to be under 41.3I. It's not about 41.3I, um, this language from the JCAM. It, it's about this particular issue. It is wise to bear in mind how arbitrators have generally approached the question of whether employees are justified for refusing work in a particular place or in a particular fashion because of what the employee perceives, believes, are unsafe conditions. First, there is the iron rule stating that an employee must obey now and grieve later. Second, there is a narrow exception to that rule which permits an employee to disobey where he or she has a reasonable or good faith belief that to obey would cause imminent danger to life or limb. A mere belief that a safety hazard exists is usually insufficient reason to disobey an order. And I'll come back to this later, but I want you to think about the words refusing to work in a particular place or in a particular fashion. It doesn't say refusing to work, period. And I think there's a, a really good reason for that. So the language on obedience to orders, failure to follow instructions, whatever, comes from the ELM, section 665.15, uh, I will say this first, don't, 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 any language from Section 650 of the ELM is for non-bargaining union employees. There are some severe punishments for non-bargaining union employees if they're insubordinate or don't follow instructions. There's no, those, those rules do not apply to us. The rules in 665.15, they do apply to us. And what it says is employees must obey the instructions of their supervisor. If an employee has reason to question the propriety 
the pro- propriety <laughs> of a supervisor's order, the individual must nevertheless carry out the order and may immediately file a protest in writing to the official in charge of the installation or may appeal through official channels. And that's where the whole, um, you know, follow first and grieve later comes in, okay? So, in order to frame this issue in this situation, what I want to do is read an email exchange that I had with one of the Pooms uh, just this last week, I believe. Um, anyway, here's, here's the Poom. He says, Mike, I have been advised that uh, blank, which is someone out of, out of uh, the office, the regional office here, was at uh, this post office today for a site visit. I am told that part of the subject matter and intent of the site visit, she was advising carriers that under 8.5F, they do not have to follow instructions as it comes to mandating overtime over 10 hours. To be clear, this is him talking, still same email. To be clear, 8.5F does not give your membership carte blanche authorization to refuse to follow instructions. Article 8 does outline particular circumstances where there may be an equitability exception. However, Elm 6, I guess all of 6, uh, which is erroneous, is clear in that all employees must first follow instructions of the supervisor and file their written protest through official channels. The intent is never to violate the terms of the collective bargaining agreement. This is where they start violating the contract when they say that first. The intent is never to violate the terms of the collective bargaining agreement. However, I'm sure you do not need a reminder of our mutual interest in delivering the mail to the customer, which is also a requirement of delivering for America and the Postal Reform Act, which, of course, the NELC supported. The subject matter of today's conversation gives the appearance to the contrary. Uh, Then my assistance is appreciated in uh, ensuring that my membership understands our obligation to follow the instructions of their supervisor and postmaster. And then he thanks me. That was nice of him. Okay. Here's my response. Sir, I respect your position, but I must disagree with your conclusion. We understand the mission and we support the mission. But the reality is that postal management, not the letter carrier craft, is failing to properly staff the offices in order that the mission can be fulfilled. Hundreds of times this year alone, in this post office alone, we have worked above and beyond the contractual work limits in order to assist in getting the mail delivered. If there comes a time when a letter carrier can no longer do that, I do not fault them. We all do what we can. Now, here's some applicable contract provisions we should all keep in mind. And keep this in mind if you're having uh, staffing issues or this problem where they want to uh, mandate excessively or discipline the carrier when they can no longer work um, at, at a certain point. Article 3, the employer, not us, the employer shall have the exclusive right under 3B to hire, promote, transfer, assign, and retain employees in positions within the Postal Service. They got the exclusive right to do all that. Article 7, 3A, the employer will staff at least one full-time regular city letter carrier uh, per one full-time regular city letter carrier route. That's 7-3-A. This is all about the staffing. Article 41-1-A-1. A. (laughs) Vacant or newly established duty assignments not under consideration for reversion shall be posted within 14 calendar days from the day it becomes vacant. I don't know how it is around the country, but in Illinois 1 District, 
are horrible about not posting routes in a timely manner. Article 8.1, now we get into hours of work and what our obligation is. Article 8.1, very overlooked. Uh, the work week for full-time regulars shall be 40 hours per week, 8 hours per day. Then we get into what he was talking about with 8.5F. No full-time regular employee will be required to work. And then all of the provisions that are that we know to be the penalty overtime provisions, uh, one of them being over 10 hours on a regularly scheduled day, eight hours on a non-scheduled day, uh, et cetera, et cetera, in Article 8.5F. Now, this is me talking again. Understand, we are not telling letter carriers to defy the instructions of their managers. However, when those same managers fail to hire and retain employees, comma, fail to staff a full-time regular for every full-time assignment that we have, fail to post routes for bid within 14 days so they can be filled, fail to honor a regular carrier's regular schedule even after they've completed their own route and did overtime despite being not, not on the overtime desire list and where the contract clearly states we won't be required to work penalty overtime, although we've done it time and time again for the good of the service, I'm going to have a hard time finding fault with the letter carrier in that scenario. Next paragraph, also I'm well aware that the ELM 665.15 says employees must obey the instructions of their supervisors. However, the key word is employees. We are not slaves. And at some point we go home for the day and we are no longer subject to instruction from our superiors. When a letter carrier has done everything they can and they can do no more and decide to leave, they are not failing to follow instructions they are simply ending their tour. So that was my response to him on that issue. I think that the key, I know that the key uh, word in that uh, Elm language 665 is employees. When you're not an employee, you are not subject to any instruction by your supervisor. Looking back at that language in the JCAM, it talks about refusing to work in a particular place in a particular fashion, those are instructions that we would have to follow and grieve later as a letter carrier, unless it's illegal, unless it's unsafe, you know, those kind of things, uh, we would do it. But having us to work is not an instruction that they can give you. And uh, one example, so I think we all agree that having to, uh, uh, giving an instruction while you're off the clock would be improper. So for example, if you're um, doing your grocery shopping in the evening and you run into your supervisor, they can't instruct you to go to aisle six and pick up a can of beans for them, right? You're off the clock. You're no longer subject to their instructions. I think everyone kind of understands that. Uh, but there's something else that, that I think we, we get confused about. It's really the exact same situation, and that is when I'm going to be off the clock. So even, if, even if they tell you while you're on the clock, it's still going to be something that you would have to perform when you're off the clock. And to me, that is the same irrelevant instruction in both scenarios. And the example I give is, let's say you're still on the clock, you're going to go punch out, and the supervisor comes up to you and says, you know, hey, man, uh, you know we're short on toilet paper in the bathroom, so what I need you to do, and hey, and this is a direct order, you know, and you're still on the clock, so I'm going to give you this direct order. On your way home, I'm directing you to stop off at Target and pick us up a roll of the Good Charmin. We want the, the red one, not, not the blue one. 
But that one you know, scratches the booties. We don't want that one. Um, you know, this is the one we want. Is that an instruction that you would have to follow? The answer is no, because you would not be an employee at the time that they're asking you to perform the instruction. So when you, once you end your tour at that time, there, there's no more direction being given to you as an employee and as, as a letter carrier. I hope that that makes sense. The other thing I'd like to uh, bring up on this topic is if you look at Article 16, and Corey did a great job outlining all of the tests of just cause in Article 16. I think we're talking about episodes maybe uh, 11, 12 uh, through like 15 or up to 20, something like that. Uh, but in that range, go back and look at them. There's one uh, episode on is the rule reasonable? Now, if it didn't matter if the rule was reasonable or not when you were being subjected to discipline, then why would that be one of the tests of just cause? We would just say, is there a rule? Is the employee aware of the rule? And that would be the end of it. But that's not what the test of just cause that the parties have agreed to. There's an additional step there. The rule has to be reasonable. Is it reasonable to instruct someone to do something when they're going to be off the clock? Is it reasonable to instruct someone to work beyond the work hour limits that are established in our contract? That's not reasonable. That should not subject me to discipline if I can't uh, follow, follow that instruction. The other thing is, um, when we talk about somebody, let's say they've worked their eight hours and they can't work anymore, I gotta go pick up my kid, I got you know something I have to do, et cetera. How are you subject to discipline for failing to follow instructions when carriers all the time uh, leave work without even completing their tour of duty? And they may put in for sick leave, or they may not even have any leave. But at that point, it's an absence, right? If I drop the route, if I leave, I am subject to discipline based on my attendance, uh, based on that absence, but I'm not subject to any additional discipline. Management can't tell me, you're not sick. I'm giving you a direct order to go back to that route and case it and deliver it and whatever. Uh, those instructions are not proper. Why? Because... I'm leaving, I'm ending my tour, I'm no longer an employee, I'm no longer subject to your wishes and your instructions and your direct orders. Uh, and that's really what it comes down to. If a letter carrier is scheduled to work, either in a regular status or even in a mandatory overtime status, because we still do have that language in 8.5D, if I'm properly scheduled to work and I'm unable to do so, I inform uh, management that I'm not able to do so, and I may be subject to discipline based on my attendance, but failure to follow instructions, insubordination, uh, that's a bunch of bullshit. And I've seen a lot of the discipline on that issue, and it just it just really irks me. You know, there's, there's a limit to the employer-employee uh, relationship, and that limit, uh, the, the end of that relationship is at the time clock. Once a carrier leaves or is going to leave, they're no longer subject to instruction. So I hope that was helpful. I hope that made sense. Um, it's just something that just kind of riles me up a little bit, but uh, we should never accept any type of discipline under any circumstances for failure to follow instructions because a letter carrier had to go home for the day or was unable to work uh, for that day. Uh, but it doesn't mean it has to be confrontational. You know, you guys, the carriers, everyone should just say, hey, I'm not gonna be able to do that. Here's my slip, I'm leaving or I'm not gonna be able to come in or whatever. Um, and then it should not be treated as an insubordination situation or failure to follow instructions. Uh, that's all I got. I did wanna make a quick note 
um, that the ballots are going out. Uh, would encourage everyone to participate. Uh, and it's that time of the, of the year, every, every four years, when we get the opportunity to vote for our national president on down. Uh, and I know there's no, no politics on the podcast, and I'm not trying to be political, but I am trying to uh, get people to participate with their union. The ballots are coming in the mail. Uh, you may uh, also get information from some of the candidates in the mail. You can also look at the postal record. I uh, would highly encourage you guys to uh, take a look at that stuff and to participate, get your ballot back in the mail. They're going to start mailing them out this week, the election committee, and you have a, a pretty short window to return those ballots. So I encourage you guys to participate. I am on the Renfro and Barner team. We think we have a good plan and agenda for the membership, but it's totally up to you guys who you want to vote for. We just ask that you do please participate uh, in the upcoming election and get those ballots in. And uh, that's all I got for you guys. I hope everyone is uh, safe out there and, and has a great day. All right. That's Mr. Cariff right there. Uh, the guy's about the business. Uh, I know you can tell. Now, I hope that that came out okay. I was in my room. It sounded okay to me. We'll see when I start editing this thing if it came across okay. I'll get this fixed. Uh, I was going to do it on Discord. Like I said, when I got uh, into it, I was testing on, on uh, my girlfriend, matter of fact. and uh, She was at her house, and I'm here, and it just came came across like this in a tin can didn't sound very good i didn't like it and so um i just rubber batted my phone up to the uh microphone and <laughs> put it on speaker that's terrible but that's all i could do and so um i, I appreciate mike more than he knows uh, you know I, I i love that guy he's about the letter carrier man i know you can tell and he's he can uh say whatever he wants to about politics. I know there's no politics on this podcast. There won't be, but he's got my vote. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, that guy's uh, a beast for the letter carrier, and so anybody like that's got my vote. So anyway, remember, next week we're going to have Executive Vice President Mr. Uh, Brian Renfro on, and he's going to answer questions, and uh, we're going to put him in the hot seat. And see how he does, all right? And then the next week, JB's going to come on. He's going to talk about management doing uh, craft work. And that's going to be a very good episode. And then I'll come back the next week and, and get back into um, to some other stuff, like I said. Uh, Y'all have a fantastic rest of the week. Uh, I love all of you. I do. And I appreciate the love y'all are showing me uh, on social media and stuff. Man, that's, uh, that's fantastic. But it, it's... You know, I'm a city letter carrier, man, getting on here, just uh, telling what I know, and, and, I, and I hope that it helps. I really do. And so I appreciate all of you. Uh, again, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. Get on those things. If you've got questions for Mr. Renfro, put them on there, and I'm going to write them down. Uh, I'm not going to have his answers or nothing like that. It ain't going to be like that, uh, you know. Uh, I'm just going to have a bunch of questions and we're going to have him answer them. He said he's going to answer the hard questions, so that's what we're going to give him. So get on those things. Thank you to Lindsay for doing that stuff. Thank you to Jeremy for that. Um, and uh, they, they've been amazing. They've been fantastic. So uh, I will talk to you all next week with Mr. 
Brian Renfro. All right, y'all have a great rest of the week, and I'll talk to you later.